But turn to not the Gospel of John today, because if you'll remember, as we talked about last week, um, John relates to us a pre-hearing with um, the high priest of the people of Israel, of the Jews, that was Annas, but he was not the official high priest that Rome had set into place. That was his son-in-law. <laughs> and that hearing, that trial, the meeting with Annas that we talked about, looked at last week, where we also um, contrasted that between Peter's denial, Jesus's bold, openly, open acknowledgement and proclamation of the truth of who he was, versus Peter's fear and even admitting that he was a follower to a servant girl, the doorkeeper there, was a strike contrast, was it not? And so after that, um, then Jesus would have been led after his um, time with Annas to Caiaphas, what would have been his residence. And remember, both of these men probably lived, if not in the same palace, temple palace, uh, in um, residences that were close, closely connected to each other. So this courtyard that Peter was a part of, was in, would have had entrance to both of these residences. So that, um, as the synoptics point out, as Jesus was before Caiaphas, Peter was giving his final denial and the rooster crowed. Jesus looked at him. Most likely we should think of that as while he is in this interrogation by Caiaphas himself, the official high priest in his residence. We're going to see a trial of sorts is attempted. And the goal is finding something about Jesus they can use to condemn him. John lets us know that he was sent to Caiaphas, but he doesn't give us any information about what happened in that hearing, in that trial. I think it's important for us to know more of the details of that. So we're going to go to Mark chapter 14 today. Mark chapter 14. And we're going to see the Sanhedrin gathered here together at Caiaphas's palace, his residence. And they are angry. And they are filled with unbelief. And what we're going to see today is their attempt to condemn the Son of Man. But what they fail to see is they're actually going to condemn the one who will be the final judge over them, over mankind. And Jesus will make that apparent in some quotes that he gives from the Old Testament. As we read from Mark chapter 14, starting at verse 53, that's a big chapter there, 53 to 65. And we have the details of what took place at this trial with Caiaphas, the high priest. And they led Jesus to the high priest. And all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. That's the Sanhedrin. And Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priest and the whole council was seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death. But they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another, not made with hands. 
And yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. And the high priest, that's Caiaphas, stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, what further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. Father, again, our hearts are sobered as we begin to process more, not just what Jesus went through against his testimony and the false truth proclaimed against him, but also the physical aspects of this now and the beatings and the things that were, would begin to take place as they actually physically beat and mock the Savior, the Son of Man, the very word that proclaimed who you are. Lord, let us marvel at the calmness, the strength, and the control and the bold declaration that our Savior gives of his identity at this time where he knows what the end will be. And then, Lord, help us in some way, again, because of all that Christ has done for us, give us that kind of boldness as we attempt to testify of Christ to a world that's just as abrasive and antagonistic our Christ as we see in these verses. Give us that strength to testify in the world without being stained by the world and to have the boldness that Christ did in the midst of his condemnation. And know that one day the judge of the world will return and make all things right. We look forward to that. So help us to understand these truths better as we continue. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. First of all, as we see the condemnation of the Son of Man of Jesus Christ, we're going to see the false testimony is given against the Son of Man. As we already read, Jesus is enduring efforts that will end to end his execution, efforts to execute him. He's enduring these calmly with strength. And so again, back to verse 53, after Jesus had been with Annas, they lead him nearby to Caiaphas' residence. And the chief priests, the elders, the scribes, all of these compose the Sanhedrin. We talked about the Sanhedrin early on in our study of John. It was the Sadducees, right? The Pharisees. Normally, folks that didn't get along very well with each other. Um, I do have to mention one thing here to Barbara, Tom. It looks like, looks like I'm about ready to lose... Uh, my Zoom capability here in a minute. Can we can we turn that around, or can we use one of your laptops to turn around and focus here? Is that will that work? Okay. 
Well, it's going to shut down here in about five minutes. So, okay. Give it a moment here so I can edit that back out later. <laughs> All right. Jesus endured efforts to execute him. Um, and so, again, we have this, uh, this repeat in verse 54 of Peter and what was going on there. We've covered that. Peter would have been denying Christ through his testimony with Annas and also with Caiaphas. That would have been going on. And the rooster crowed. Peter went out and wept bitterly. I'm going to leave the meeting from here. They can, they can see you. There we go. There we go. Okay. So we're in verses 53 through 55 here. And Mark gives this uh, quick note about Peter. And then back to 55, the chief priests and the whole council. This is representatives. Probably shouldn't see at this point the whole Sanhedrin. Remember, this is in the middle of the night. This is while it's still dark. But representatives from the Sanhedrin. And um, so you have representatives from the whole Sanhedrin seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death. They are seeking a specific direct testimony that they can use to be able to legitimately send him to the cross. There's only one problem. They're not able to find any. There's no legitimate testimony that they have that will allow them the legitimacy with the Roman Empire, with the Romans, to be able to crucify Jesus. And that's a problem. Now, at the same time, we see here that Jesus endured false witness designed to condemn him. There were witnesses, but they were false witnesses. And none of these witnesses, their testimonies didn't line up which is a real problem when you're trying to appear legitimate and to have an official hearing. And none of your test, your witnesses and their testimony, when they don't line up, you've got a problem. That's what verse 56 reminds us. For many bore false witness against him, but the problem is their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him. Again, this reminder that in the midst of the truth of the very word of God, Jesus standing there is juxtaposed these false witnesses that are not telling the truth about him. And they're not, they're not doing a very good job of that as well. They're trying to make it look like that he actually said that he would tear down the temple with his hands. Verse 58, we heard him say, we heard it. I will destroy this temple that is made with hands. And in three days, I will build another not made with hands. Well, that makes Jesus sound like an insurrectionist, somebody that would literally try to tear down. Of course, one man trying to tear down that magnificent temple is obviously um, just ridiculous. But they're trying to make this stick against him. Well, what did Jesus actually say? Go back to John. We won't have a time with John here. John chapter 2, because they're referring to something that John recorded in his gospel. Jesus, see, in all false testimony, in good, in we could say effective false testimony, unfortunately, there's usually a kernel of truth. And there is a kernel of truth in this testimony, but it's totally twisted. John chapter 2, verse 18, 
So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? And this is after Jesus has cleansed the temple. So they're irritated. They're irate about this. And what, by what authority do you dare to do this? And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up. And the Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple. And will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. So Jesus said something similar, but they've twisted what he has said. And he never said, of course, that he himself would tear the temple down that Herod had built for the Jews and was the complex in which they in which they worshiped God. But John makes it clear Jesus was speaking of his body and it wasn't something that he would do. Ironically, he was saying they would tear him. They would send he's speaking of his crucifixion, that they would tear his body down as the temple. They would crucify him. But then marvelously, he would raise it up again in three days. And even at this time, we had this picture. And so, of course, Jesus wasn't referring to himself tearing down the temple. But, you know, there is some real irony in this, in the fact that Jesus wouldn't tear down the temple. But these religious leaders, the very people of God would. They would attempt to destroy the temple, the body of Christ. And he would raise himself up, resurrect himself from the dead. But also, in further irony, that very temple that they're trying to accuse Jesus of trying to tear down, actually, because of the peoples, because of the Jews' disobedience and rebellion against God, one day they would see that temple raised to the ground in AD 70. Because they rejected God, they rejected their Messiah. And historically, we know the Romans came in in AD 70, and they tore literally the temple to the ground, not because of, of Jesus, but because of their own, well, it was because of Jesus, they rejected him, but he wouldn't do it. These very people, these religious leaders that are getting ready to crucify him would one day see their own temple torn to the ground because of their disobedience. And yet one day we're in, it's indicated in God's word that that temple would be rebuilt as well in a new form. So all of these things, we have these pictures here, but they're not very effective in their testimony. Verse 59, yet even about this, even as they're trying to give false testimony, they're getting up and their words aren't agreeing. It's not working out very well for them. The very word of truth here, Jesus Christ himself had to suffer fools offering false testimony intended to condemn him. But ultimately, they were not successful. And we're going to see here in the next little bit that Jesus himself ends this by speaking truth. And they will use that truth to condemn him. God is in control of those who would accuse and revile us for Jesus' sake. He was in control of these that are accusing and reviling Jesus in this moment. He's in control of those that we will suffer and we will have to deal with. And he knows the truth. 
and he will act in his timing. And God knows the truth of our testimony and our faithful service. And even though we may endure the um, mocking and the derision and the anger of others, because if Jesus endured that, we should expect that we're going to have to endure that, right? At some point. It shouldn't be a surprise to us, as we saw this morning. The anger that was and the revilement that was thrown at Jesus, we can expect at some point to experience as well. But folks, we know the power of Jesus' truth. We know that God is in control and that he will keep us and that he will protect us. And even if he allows things to happen to us that we would rather not have happen to us and suffering and things of that nature, he will act in his timing. And so Jesus um, is about to now give the truth that will actually condemn him. And we're going to see the condemnation against the son of man. Jesus gives clear truth in his identity. He's open. He's clear. He's honest in this. And it's almost as if Caiaphas himself in verse 60 here is fed up. He's shaking his head, listening to these false witnesses that can't agree in their testimony. And finally, he's just had it. Oh, this is embarrassing. And he finally gets up himself in the midst. And again, this was against the way that they would normally do trials. They would hear all the witnesses, and then the witnesses would be established whether their testimony was true. Obviously, that hasn't been the case. Um, but before any questions would normally be asked of the person um, that is on trial, people would have to agree that the witness testimony were accurate. Well, that's not happened here. It's obvious that these, this testimony is not accurate. And Caiaphas just had it. He breaks all the rules here and just questions Jesus directly. And he asks Jesus, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? Jesus, explain yourself. Make sense of all this chaotic testimony that we've had to endure. You do something. And yet what happened? What was Jesus' response? Verse 61. He remained silent and made no answer. In one sense, you have to love this, folks. If the opposition is destroying their own credibility, why say something and get in the way of it, right? Why help them save face? But Jesus' silence, were you listening when Bill read Isaiah 53? It was predicted all the way back then by Isaiah that he opened not his mouth. He would suffer these things in silence. And so we have fulfillment of the Old Testament as Jesus refuses to answer. Because there was really no answer to make. These men have brought in these false witnesses. It's their fault that they're given testimony in the first place. There's nothing else to say. And Caiaphas gets frustrated and asks him a very straightforward question then. He says, are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? The Son of of the blessed. Do you consider yourself Jesus the Messiah, the Christ, which is what the word Christ means, Messiah? And he says here, the son of the blessed. And remember at this time that religious leaders tended to use other words for the, the word God or the word Yahweh because they, they had supposedly such a respect for God that they tried to avoid using his name. So instead of saying son of God, they use the word blessed. 
to avoid speaking God's name directly. But the question was clear. Or do you consider yourself the Messiah? Do you consider yourself the son of God? Let's just cut to the chase here. Again, this is totally illegal. Witnesses haven't established their credibility at all. They've, they've been rendered foolish. But Jesus, remember how we've mentioned this before, he is in control of this whole thing. And Jesus at this moment decides it's time to fully reveal his identity and just move on from these sham proceedings and get to the final outcome. And so he very directly just says at this point, 62, Jesus said, I am, and you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming from the clouds, coming with the clouds of heaven. Jesus quotes two references from the Old Testament here. Psalm 110 and the prophecies of Daniel to make clear to them who he is. But even that first phrase, I am, what is that? That is the identity of Yahweh, the God of Israel. And Jesus boldly proclaims it, I am. I am God. Amazing how direct. He's been careful throughout his ministry as he has uh, presented himself to directly say this, although throughout uh, the Gospel of John, we see Jesus teachings and saying things where if you're listening and you're, you're a follower and you're trying to comprehend, he's been making it clear who his identity is, that he is the Son of Man, but he's also the Son of God. And yet here is Jesus' clearest, most direct reference and description of who he is. I am the very identity that Yahweh gave his people when he delivered them from bondage in Egypt. And then next, go ahead and turn to um, Daniel 7, 13, and let's see this passage that Jesus quotes from here and identifying himself as the son of man who will come with the clouds of heaven. What is he referring to here? Well, Daniel in chapter 7, verse 13, described in his prophecy one that would come. Daniel 17, verse 13. I'm sorry, Daniel 7, verse 13. He said, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and a glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And the Jews, most of the Jews interpreted this very passage from Daniel as referring to their Messiah, who would one day come, but he would come in judgment, as well as in cloud, that idea of being presented, coming with the clouds in heaven, had the idea of one that would come in judgment, that would come to judge and then establish his kingdom. It is interesting, though, it also says that this would come like a son of man, which ties this figure to humanity. So we have one that is tied to humanity that also has the authority of God to judge the world. 
and Daniel um, prophesies of both of these things. Well, how is that even possible? The fulfillment of this to be both fully God and fully man. And Jesus here is laying claim to both. He's saying, I am the one. I am the son of man. I am fully man. But I will come. And one day I will judge through the power, the authority that God, that only God can have. I will be that judge, that Messiah in my final return in which I will establish my kingdom. I am the one. Can't get a more direct claim of identity of Messiah than that. And he lays claim to both here. But there's also a reference in Psalm 110, and you can turn there quickly. When Jesus says he'll be seated at the right hand of power, he's using their carefulness and not using the name of God, but using the word power to reference God. So you could say he's saying seated at the right hand of God. When he says power, he's meaning the same thing. Of course, the right hand of God, the authority of God, the ability to judge, all of that is God's power and authority alone. And we have reference to it, David, all the way back in Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord says to my Lord, the Father, saying to the Son, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. What does this indicate all put together? That Jesus, the Son of Man, would have the power of God and authority to judge. That whole picture of being at God's right hand means that he has the authority of God to judge, that he is God, and he has a unique relationship with the Father. And Jesus is very clearly, I mean, Caiaphas asked for it. And Jesus says, I am. I'm the Son of Man. I'll be seated at the right hand of power. I'll be coming as the judge with the clouds of heaven. And I will be the one that will one day establish the kingdom. And yet in the midst of this, don't forget that he would have to go. The path for that would be through the cross and through his resurrection. And so what is really ironic here is that these men are about to pass judgment. Don't miss this. They're about to condemn the mighty judge that will come and judge and rule over the whole world. The very judge of mankind that will judge each and every one of us, that will bring us, um, either condemn us or allow us to be with him forever. They are about to pronounce a false condemnation against him. The irony of this is, and the tragedy of this, because I think really what Jesus is saying as well in this, he's saying this, you have one more chance. This is who I am. Bow down to, my, to, to the knowledge of who that I am. Worship. Um, submit to me. Be my follower before you condemn me. And therefore, send me and send me to the cross. Believe in me. And they had another chance. And instead of taking that opportunity, they condemned. Verse 63. And the high priest tore his garments and said, what further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving of death. 
probably at this point, this is a theatrical show of passion by Caiaphas. I don't know that he was really, this, this is actually what he wanted. They weren't having much success with the witnesses and getting them all to agree. And here he is trying to force Jesus' hand, and all of a sudden he has a direct testimony from Jesus of who he is. And inside he had to be thinking, oh, good, we can get rid of this trial is over. We can get rid of all this, this embarrassment, and move on to getting him convicted politically by the Romans. But outwardly, he has to put on a good show. And he does that here, showing false anger in a passion, rending his garments, which showed the anger that one would have over hearing God's word in God's name blasphemy or blaspheme. And he says, we don't need any further witnesses. And he's probably thinking inside good because these guys did a horrible job at being false witnesses. Get rid of them. Get them out of here. We don't need them anymore. He's just condemned himself with the truth of his own identity. In their minds, the truth of who Jesus is, is blasphemy. And yet they've heard the truth and they reject it yet again. And so instead of taking opportunity to receive him as Lord and Messiah, they unanimously condemn the son of man to death. And they all condemned him as he asked, he said, you have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And by the way, you'll hear um, unbelieving scholars and skeptics, you may have heard this before, trying to describe the fact that they have respect for Jesus because he was a good man. And he spoke a lot of great truth and a lot of helpful things, but he couldn't have been the son of God. And folks, Jesus, even in this phrase, C.S. Lewis and many others have pointed this out. He doesn't give us that option. Jesus is clear here. He says, I am the son of God. I'm not just a good man. And so Either he really is who he says he is, or he's one of the worst sinners that ever existed, claiming that he is God when he is not. And the religious leaders take that route, that you are fully deserving of crucifixion for daring to identify yourself as God, as a son of God, as a Messiah. And yet we know he was speaking truth. Against the false witnesses, Jesus' claim of who he was was absolute. It was truth, and they rejected it. And so they condemned him as deserving death. A final verdict is called for, and they're unanimous. He deserves death. And then this awful verse, these righteous, pious religious leaders who um, value themselves and their testimony they are the ones that begin this. They are the ones that spit and cover Jesus' face and beat him and mock him. You see, it isn't the soldiers here. It's these hypocritical, self-righteous religious leaders that start this. And they do this beating and mocking their very own Messiah. And when they finally tire of this, they send in their temple guards it says here, the guards received him with blows, and they have their turn at the Son of Man to beat and mock him instead of accept the truth of who he is and his identity. Well, there's one more aspect here that we need to look at just briefly to have an understanding of what was going on. Turn quickly to Luke 22. 
One more aspect of the Sanhedrin trial. Remember, they're at Caiaphas, his residence, his home. And it seems that they needed to meet officially in their official meeting place to officially condemn him before they can move him on to uh, provide um, political condemnation by the Romans. You see, they had to have permission from the Romans to be able to execute Jesus. They couldn't just do this on their own, and they would have to seek that from Pilate. But Luke seems to indicate because of what he says here, look at verse 66 in Luke chapter 22. When they came, the assembly of the elders of the people gathered together, both the chief priests and scribes. This now is at daybreak. Remember, it's been nighttime during this time with Caiaphas, but now day is dawning of this day where Jesus will be crucified. And so they lead him to a very official place where they would have their council there in Jerusalem. And one more time, they interrogate him. Again, they haven't proven anything with their witnesses yet. This is a sham. This is a false trial as well. Verse 67, if you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, if I tell you, it is interesting, he's already told them. We just read that direct identification of who he is. And now they say one more time, tell us again. And Jesus just says, if I tell you, you will not believe. I've just told you. And you've condemned me. And if I ask you, you will not answer. You don't have any desire to hear the truth. You're just looking for an excuse to send me to my death. But he reminds them one more time. But from now on, the son of man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. I'm your judge. Be careful here for what you wish for. Because one day I will come back and judge you. And they all said, are you saying you're the son of God to them? And he said to them, not quite as directly as he had before, but he makes it still clear, you say that I am. And they said again, what further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from his own lips. And so they condemn the mighty judge, the one who would one day condemn all of them. Instead of bowing and submitting to the truth of who he was, they were about ready to take him now before Pilate and get official permission to crucify their savior. In condemning the son of man, they were condemning themselves and they couldn't even see it. Folks, let us not make that mistake. There's someone here that still in your heart has not truly trusted in Jesus Christ. Don't reject him. But embrace the truth. He is the son of man. Do you believe that? He will return one day in glory. He will return as our judge. Trust him now as your savior before you meet him one day as your judge and you're condemned for all eternity. Don't assent to the condemnation of Jesus' enemies here in your life, but trust him, embrace him, believe in who he is. So when he returns, there'll be not dread, there'll be joy and excitement that he has returned. And then another aspect of this as well, don't be afraid to boldly proclaim who he is. Jesus did it, and God will protect us. He may, we may have to go through suffering. We may have to go through difficulties, but we know that God will bring those things to a glorious end, and he will work through that suffering to make Jesus known. And one day we'll look at the Savior who suffered all, 
And the suffering we have to endure at this time will be as nothing because of what he was willing to go through for us. Father, again, let us marvel at all that Jesus went through in this condemnation. The irony here is so dramatic that the one who we look forward to that will one day judge the world was falsely condemned by his own people and the hatred and animosity they had toward him. Father, let that not be the case. If there's someone here that still has hatred and animosity and has rejected you in their hearts, let today be the day they accept the truth, the identity of Jesus and understand all that he went through for us so that we could have forgiveness and salvation. And then let us not be afraid to suffer and to go through hard things to make the truth of Jesus known. Help us to be in the world testifying of Christ as we talked about in Sunday school, but pure, but, but unstained from the world and a vibrant testimony of Jesus Christ. We know that you can help us in these things. Give us that testimony. And Lord, help us to serve you effectively till the judge returns, the son of man, to establish his kingdom. We look forward to that day. Help us to be faithful until you return, until Christ returns. And this we ask in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.